0: Welcome to today's podcast on surgery networks and the cost structure and the cost variance behind these high cost surgeries. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website at caa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business. Whether you are a TPA, broker, or an employer, in my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health that brings self-insured employers and their employees to find meaning from their healthcare data. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like minded professionals. Before we begin, I would like to bring you a word from our sponsor, Echo. Founded in 1997 and now processing more than $1 billion in payments every week, Echo provides digital payment processing for healthcare workers' compensation, property and casualty, and other specialty insurers. Using a single, secure, streamlined payment system, ECHO specializes in removing barriers to digitization and immediately connects clients to a network of more than 1 million electronic-ready insurance vendors and providers, the largest network in the nation. Today, we have Dr. Keith Smith, Medical Director of Oklahoma Surgery Center, one of the pioneers of price transparency to talk about specialist surgery networks and their contracting. You're gonna get some of these following questions answered from today's podcast. What does a specialized surgery network mean? What are some of the challenges in putting together surgery network contracts? What are typical savings involved? What is the state of affairs in calculating these savings? And how does a TPA go about putting these in place? So let's just dive into it. Dr. Smith, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited. We have talked a lot about in the industry regarding transparency, surgery networks, and particularly around bringing that level of transparency. I think you must feel with this whole price transparency, what you've been fighting for over the last 15, 20 years is uh, finally coming to fruition. Before we jump into it, I'd love for our listeners to be able to hear something about you that they may not know and why should they listen to you?
1: I suppose something people don't know about me, I was a musician before I decided to go uh, to medical school and and was good enough, I think, to have been able to do that for a living. I've thought about that part of my life many, many years ago. And in retrospect, I think it brought precision to kind of the way that I that I do things and approach things that's not Something I think a whole lot of people know about, but now maybe a few more do.
0: Do any uh, evening gigs here and there or, uh, no, not That not career way behind you.
1: Yeah. That's way behind me. I suppose people, maybe they shouldn't listen to me, but the ones who do, I think are compelled because the story of cheaper and better and fair and honest dealing is it's an easy sell. so i I don't think I have any struggles getting anyone to listen to me. I think even our enemies on the other side who want to preserve the status quo are definitely listening to me and to the other people that are shouting this from the rooftop as loudly as they can. I think you know, you're gaining traction when your known adversaries are also listening very, very closely. Because it, what the free market will do is inevitable. And I think the price gouging players on the other side know that the inevitable is coming. They're just trying to keep their gig going just as long as they can. So
0: tell us a bit more about the Surgery Center of Oklahoma.
1: We're about a 40,000 square foot facility with seven operating rooms. We have 115 surgeons on our staff and all different specialties. There are a few things that we don't do here, but not very many. Lots of orthopedics, ear, nose, and throat, general surgery, gynecology, uh, urology, ophthalmology, uh, some reconstructed plastic surgery, podiatry, oral maxillofacial Surgery. All these things are are on the website with the all-inclusive pricing attached to every one of those procedures. For the procedures that we do not do here, that someone at another facility can perform more efficiently than I can, we list those prices at another kind of sister company called Atlas Billing. It's AtlasBillingCompany.com for. The world that wants to shop and look at pricing, I recommend they go to the Free Market Medical Association and check out Shop Health, where pricing from all over the country is displayed, including mine. So we are a multi-specialty facility with a large medical staff. And we've been in operation for almost 25 years with our Prices Online since 2009.
0: That's great. So people can find out exactly for a particular orthopedic surgery, how much it is built to the, whether it's a plan or, or to that individual, and it's a fixed price?
1: That's exactly right. All of our prices are all-inclusive. Some of our prices are are all-inclusive almost to the extreme. So If a patient has a knee replacement or a hip replacement at our surgery center, our price is $15,499, but that includes surgery, facility, anesthesia, physical therapy for 30 days, durable medical equipment, home health nurse visits for the four, five, or six days that the patient is here in town if they came from out of town. If they're from in town, it's in their home. And then all their pain and anti-clotting meds are are included in that too. So So,
0: yeah, it's all inclusive. How does that compare against other whether it's in that area or kind of across the states?
1: Yeah, I would say in in our state, the price for a knee replacement would range at a hospital, from at least double what I just quoted to as much as six times, so thirty to a hundred thousand, it would probably be the range for a, a knee or a hip replacement. And ours, our price is fifteen four ninety nine. And none of the insurance carriers want to work with us. That's another story. They shun Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and the, the feelings mutual. I really don't care to work with them at all.
0: Okay. So so now maybe talking about this surgery, I mean, you have the surgery service across so many different specialties. So what are maybe the surgery networks? If you could help define what surgery networks mean, because they are popping up here and there. Um, and why should a TPA or a benefit consultant or employer should listen to this? And...
1: I don't like the word network. I prefer the word brotherhood. But the members of the Free Market Medical Association all over the United States are basically a brotherhood or a network of transparently priced facilities that are not in the revenue game where they just want to price gouge everyone and get all they can. They're more interested in the buyer at the end of the exchange coming to the conclusion that They were involved in a mutually beneficial exchange that was a very valuable one. Some people are are talking about surgical networks in a different way. And the, the surgical networks that many people are talking about and refer to are just a twist, I would argue, on the status quo. The kind of networking or brotherhood that I'm referring to is where there's a willing buyer, a willing seller, a known price. I mean, any intermediaries that are involved in the exchange are are there to facilitate that exchange, not extract revenue from it.
0: So an employer could come and buy any of these services from you directly for their employees? Yes. And
1: we, yeah. And we have contracts with about 300 employers in their self-funded plans now, and we have people come see us from all 50 states and it it just has worked beautifully to have people travel here.
0: This is fantastic. So we're kind of hearing about different kinds of surgeries that could be steered towards these specialized places. In your opinion, what kind of top surgeries could be steered, whether it's from a plan design perspective or Really, from a member experience, if you tell somebody, hey, go and get your heart surgery done, I suspect that might be harder. So, what's your perspective, Dr. Smith, on top surgeries that could be steered effectively?
1: That's a great question. I think to the uninitiated, the answer cardiac surgery, joint replacements, things like that make sense. But if someone is traveling, they have to be able to justify the expense of traveling and I'm here to tell you we've seen patients from Alaska and Wisconsin and Idaho that have come all this way paid for by their employer to have a carpal tunnel release which is about a 12 or 15 minute very minor procedure but the price that was so high in their hometown hospital they could justify the travel There's also the concept that no one wants to be involved in a robbery, uh, especially if they're the one being robbed. But if you know that a a local hospital is price gouging and is really kind of having their way with you, there's just a part of you that doesn't want to patronize them. So we've had employers send employees down here, even when when the dust settled, they might not have saved money. They just did not want to patronize a hospital that they knew was going to rip them off. But the, the higher ticket items like cardiac surgery, orthopedic surgery, some ear, nose and throat surgeries, some oral maxillofacial surgeries, the higher ticket items, the traveling and lodging expense for an employer far from here, that definitely makes sense. But I'm astonished every day when I come across somebody's had a knee arthroscopy, a very simple knee arthroscopy, and the the health plan was billed twenty thousand dollars, and our price is thirty seven hundred and forty dollars. So even for something that simple, depending on the market where the self funded plan typically buys services, that might make sense.
0: So you talked a bit about these savings in this case three to six times the price. Are you seeing these business models where surgery centers like yours or other surgery networks, they are doing a fixed price or is it based on some kind of savings models? What are the different ways you're seeing this business model for surgeries happening whether it's with the employers directly or TPAs?
1: There's a lot of pressure in the marketplace on facilities to match my pricing and that of my competitors. So yeah, this is a growing movement and I think part of the reason it's growing is that people don't want to lose the business. So some people are attracted to the idea of fair dealing because they know it's the right thing to do. And some people are drugged to that party kicking and screaming just because they don't want to lose the business. So I, again, the free market's a funny thing. It's like gravity. You can't just turn it off. You're you're either in sync with the market where you reap its benefit or you're, you're not in sync with it. And all you get are the consequences. So... The people that are figuring that out have realized it truly is inevitable and the movement is growing.
0: You talked about the savings. How are people calculating these savings once they put these contracts in place?
1: It depends. Some people calculate the savings just by looking back historically to see what they've paid. If they have access to their data, a lot of the carriers won't give them access to data. Their Healthcare Blue Book is a pretty good reference. There are some things out there people can look at uh, to compare. But at the end of the day, the health plan can look after they deal with somebody like me and see at the end of the year, we spent a whole lot less than we spent the year before and not really have to get too much in the weeds to figure that out.
0: So like a basic average savings per, whether it's a knee surgery or other kind of surgeries you can... Kind of get that calculation. Yep. And and you talked a bit about this data. It's hard to get it from the carriers, even if you are a self-insured employer. What's been your experience?
1: It is difficult for some of these health plans to get their own data. I think the carriers, they guard that very closely, if for no other reason than to keep the client from shopping around and seeing if they can get a better deal. Without their data, they can't shop. That's one of the reasons we put our prices online was so that the buyer in the privacy of their own office could really compare what have I been paying and what is it out there available for at a reasonable price. Yeah, I mean, without this data, that I mean, that's bad. And any client that's making yeah. the decision to self-fund, if they're going to deal with a big carrier, they need to make sure in their contract they have access to their own data.
0: And then, how about for TPAs? Are they in a better position to take the historic data, run that kind of calculation against whether it's your price or some of the surgery network price?
1: Yeah, I think the independent third party administrators are much more nimble and more fair minded and fair dealing, more open to the possibility that they actually exist in a competitive marketplace instead of instead of the big carriers that perform administrative functions only, they, they're they more nimble. They're more able to, to figure out, you know, in the marketplace, what should we be paying? You know, we've discovered after we put our prices online that our prices were actually half what Medicare paid the local hospital. Our prices were less than what Medicaid paid the local hospital. I've been told varying amounts that our prices are, from one-half to one-eighth of what PPO allowables are at the hospitals. So it's all over the map, and, you know, the TPAs, the independent TPAs are much better equipped and motivated, I would argue, inclined to actually look out for the best interests of their client rather than the interest of the big carrier that typically pays many, many of the brokerages, unfortunately.
0: Do you see, Dr. Smith, this picture changing with price transparency regulation where health plans have to provide this machine-readable files, even the providers from early this year, they are required to provide this, and then the advanced EOB requirements for No Surprise Billing Act, where they need to be able to dish out, here's the total cost of this, and here's the portion that the employee is going to pay. Isn't that going to make it easy? What do you envision...
1: Yeah, I always think about, you know, the worst nightmare is when someone from government tells you they're coming to help you. This forced price transparency, the hospitals will fight that at every every turn. The one thing I will say that it has done, though, it has changed the narrative. So when I put all of our prices online, I had a tinfoil hat on my head. A lot of people thought I was insane. And I was discounted because I made that move. Fast forward, now you have legislation that mandates that the hospitals basically do what I did in 2009 without a gun to my head. So now the hospitals are the weirdos. They're the outliers. They're the ones receiving the scrutiny that I received for making this move back in 2009. So the narrative has changed and and those who aren't price disclosers are the ones that have some explaining to do. And what we are doing is rapidly, I think, going to become the norm.
0: Mm. So I think the other big part of the picture in order to make decisions for a patient is the quality. We talked a lot about this in the industry, cost and quality. How does that come into the picture for your center but also for all the other surgery centers who are let's say more effectively priced there's a perception or a question is it the right quality kind of place how do you tackle that and two how do you envision the quality ratings becoming more easily available or how is that going to evolve over a period of time
1: Well, I'd like to first point out that no one's asking the quality question about the god-awful cesspool hospitals that people go to now, so that the quality question is being asked is a result of kind of this is too good to be true thinking where, wow, they can do a knee arthroscopy for a tenth of what this price-gouging hospital with these high infection rates can do it for. I wonder if they're any good. But I I really do have to point out, no one's asking the quality question about the big hospitals. My friend Marty McCary wrote a couple of great bestsellers. One is called Unaccountable. His more recent one is Price We Pay, which I think has been far more successful. But I would encourage anybody that's watching this to check out his first book, Unaccountable. Marty Marty's a scientist, he's a pancreas surgeon at Johns Hopkins, very nice, very brilliant guy. And he went on a journey to try to decide how do you objectify and measure quality. And by the time he got to the end of the book, he'd thrown up his hands and said, you know, you just need to do a survey of the people who work at a facility to see if they would have that procedure done there. So an example, he went to Cleveland Clinic. And that's five star place. Everybody knows Cleveland Clinic. Everybody's heard of Cleveland Clinic. So, would you go there to have your heart surgery? And the answer on the survey was a resounding yes, as it should be. But would you go there to have your hip replaced? And the answer was a resounding no. So they have five stars, but it's what does that mean? Uh, and it's surgeon specific. There may be surgeons at a big name place that are really good, and there may be some that are not quite as good. So you you do a survey and you find out, okay, well, you know, this facility has five stars. Well, what does that even mean? You may not have one of the better surgeons. You may not have one of the better teams. There are a lot of variables. So it becomes extremely difficult to rate quality, particularly at a facility. I like to tell people that one reason you know that we know what we're doing here at our Surgery Center of Oklahoma is that we don't make more money if something goes wrong, unlike the hospitals. The hospitals want something to go wrong. I mean, they make more money if there's complications. I do not. I also have a waiting room full of people who want to come here. We're on no insurance plans. So we don't have any guaranteed stream of patients that are coming to see us, whether we're any good or not. If we're not any good, there's no one in our waiting room. We also have attached a price to the performance of the procedure. And and I think if you really want to know if someone is good at what they do, if they'll put a price and attach a price to that service, that means they know what they're doing. If they can attach a price to it, that means there's a lot of uncertainty on their end about how haywire this might go and they're not as willing to put a price on it.
0: Yeah, no, you make a couple of really important points there. around you are not just exposed to like, if, if you're not delivering good quality, tomorrow those waiting rooms will be empty. And I think when you are very transparent about your cost and you're very price competitive, you you have to make sure quality is there. You have to kind of make sure information on quality is there because people will just uh, start questioning it. So so I think this, this whole thing is going to drive up the need to have transparency both on cost and quality.
1: Yeah, the market will deliver both. Just put yourself in my shoes for a minute. Let's say I have two surgeons here who are very, very skilled at hernia repair, and they both retire. And I'm looking around in the community for a general surgeon to take their place, and I can't really find one that's really good. I can find a couple that are kind of sketchy. Do I bring them in to do hernia repairs at Surgery Center of Oklahoma and put our entire operation at risk? Well, the answer is no. So the market doesn't just bring price accountability. The market eliminates and annihilates the frauds in the marketplace and the inefficient and the low quality players. So the quality question, I would argue, needs to be reserved for the hospitals and and those who do not embrace the discipline that the market delivers it is hat in hand, it is, it's an essential component of the business model that I propose.
0: Yeah, which kind of raises a very important point around how do you engage, educate, and steer patients? You know, just kind of imagining people have this perception, oh, so-and-so Harvard Medical Center must be good, even though they may not have done that many baby deliveries. But then how do you educate and steer people to these places of care?
1: Yeah, it comes down to marketing and incentives. The physicians in a community that are very talented, they need to do a better job of making sure everyone knows what they do. There's a real problem in that hospitals employ doctors, and that means they have captured their source of referrals for their specialist surgeons, whether they're any good or not. So that's a very disruptive influence. The way most third-party administrators have latched onto this and maximized this opportunity is through incentives, not through marketing, but through incentives. And so the waiving of all deductible and copays if someone decides to go down, down a path that leads to a facility like mine, is a very, very powerful incentive. And then that employee goes back to work, and at the water cooler, they tell everyone about their experience, and then it's word of mouth, and then, you know, you'd have to be a fool to have surgery anywhere but the place that I went, and it didn't cost me anything, And then that sort of word spreads. There's some third-party administrators that have a real effective educational outreach and they have employee meetings. Any employers listening to this need to give some thought. When a third-party administrator wants direct access to the employees to talk these kind of things over, that's probably a good idea if you want your employees to avoid the price gouging hospitals. So I would say incentives are probably the most important driving influence and marketing less so. Got it.
0: So incentives, communication, incentives being like make it zero copay for those places of care. And I think going beyond the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, some of the other models that I'm hearing around surgery specialty surgery networks are you manage the population as a whole and for any kind of surgeries so you might have let's say for musculoskeletal you might be managing pre kind of any need for surgery through digital kind of tools through overall exercise and other things what do you see I guess two questions what do you see the role of that type of model where you are taking care of a population as a whole pre or prior to any kind of surgery need and is this something SEO has kind of looked at as well?
1: No, I I caution people to be very careful looking at human beings in the aggregate in any form. We are all individuals. Some people don't care so much about whether they break their arm when they're snowboarding. Some people don't care about anything, and they jump out of airplanes with parachutes. So, and everybody needs to be free to pursue the life and activities they want to pursue. I think we have to be very careful looking at human beings in the aggregate, and and even talking about population health. That's a bit problematic because it tends to discount the individual needs and preferences and wants of patients are there retrospective looks at patients that have certain characteristics and what sort of health issues they might have? Uh, yes, they are, and those those things are out there, and they're of academic interest. The best way for individuals to manage their health so that they stay out of Surgery Center of Oklahoma or anywhere else is to have a primary care doctor with whom they can have a great relationship, I would argue that's a primary care doctor that does not work for a hospital. If your doctor works for a hospital, they don't work for you. They work for the hospital and God help them if they make a decision that is not in the financial interest of their employer. The direct primary care movement is a very powerful statement that is very healthy in the United States that is promoting the idea that you can have concierge sort of access and treatment at very reasonable, almost blue-collar sort of pricing. For $80 or $90 a month, anyone in the United States can have access to a direct primary care doctor almost on an unlimited basis, you know. So, for the Folks that have diabetes and they need their blood sugar checked and modified, and they need to go in twice a week. They, they can do that. So, I would argue that the best way for folks to stay healthy is is to do the obvious and not overeat, not overdrink, all those things. Not jump out of airplanes, maybe. For for people who have health issues, the best way to manage that is with a, a solid relationship with a physician who's not a hospital employee. And don't get me wrong, there are doctors out there that are hospital employees that are great doctors. I know many of them. But there's a conflict of interest that I think has to be acknowledged, particularly with the gatekeeper, primary care doctor who works for a hospital system because their job is on the line if they don't make referrals up the sausage tube to a surgeon they know is horrible. If they refer to the guy out on his own private practice they refer to that surgeon their job is is in jeopardy
0: so it makes sense so what you're kind of outlining is a direct primary care kind of contracts uh, for the tp or for the employer use that as a as a mechanism for steering to the right specialist right kind of uh, places of care and have these fixed price or some form of better defined contracts as a model for TPs to kind of pursue.
1: And direct primary care is one model. And there are other models where physicians will just say, you know, an office visit is this much. And, you know, you don't have to pay me $80 a month. You just come in and you pay me an amount. And, And if you want, if you are someone that needs regular care, maybe a subscription does make sense for you. But if you're not, then, you know, just pay me this amount when you when you come in. And so any sort of an arrangement like that where the patient can actually say, this is my doctor, I am paying them. They are not a hospital employee. I'm paying the doctor. Or if I'm a beneficiary of a self-funded plan, my proxy buyer, you know, the employer is stepping into my shoes and paying this doctor, but it's on my behalf and for my benefit. So what would be
0: your advice to TPAs, brokers, and employers as they think about contracting directly, whether it's with SCO or any other surgery networks or brotherhood that you talked about? What would be your advice to them? How should they go about this?
1: Yeah, I would say to employers that they need to ensure that their third-party administrator is not entering into some sort of a network arrangement with one of the big carriers that precludes direct contracting. There are many, many carriers that, that have those sort of provisions where we will be your network, but you're not allowed to carve out or direct care away from us or buy it through any other mechanism except our network So first of all, employers need to be aware that many of the third party administrators either allow their hands to be tied by such an arrangement or they're actually incentivized to enter into an arrangement like that, which is not in their client's interest. So I'm here to tell you the biggest of the biggest carriers have surrendered when an employer has put his foot down or put her foot down and said, we have to be able to retain the right to purchase as good stewards when we find a better deal than this so-called network can arrange for us. Got
0: it, yep, yep. Uh, this is great. This has been a phenomenal discussion. As we kind of see this play out, I'm really kind of curious how you know, easy would it be for employers across the country to work with any kind of surgery network or surgery kind of specialist like like yours. How can people find you if they want to have conversation directly with you?
1: My email is easy to find. It's all over the website. It's Smith at surgerycenterok.com. Our website is surgerycenterok.com. I encourage everyone to check out the Free Market Medical Association, which are all the like-minded folks under one umbrella. That's fmma.org. Uh, The shop health tab is one of the most interesting parts of that website. For people that want to look at inpatient pricing, that's all bundled and all-inclusive, atlasbillingcompany.com, sister company, that website is worth checking out as well.
0: Wonderful. This is great. Some great resources for our listeners. Uh, And thank you very much, uh, Dr. Smith, for taking the time with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And I would like to thank ECHO, our sponsor of this show. Please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. Please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people. And tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests. I'm your host, Pramesh Kumar of Saki Point Health.